All right, welcome to this week's episode of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. We're going to be finishing up the second half of the chapter on fear. So if you're following along in the book, we're on page 170. And Jesus there says, stop being afraid. So the question I have for you, Peter, is that over six time, six dozen times, God's people here in Scripture do not be afraid. Why do you think God has to remind his people about that admonition so often? Um, I think we're, uh, we're naturally fearful people because um, there is a lot that is outside of our control and a lot that we think we have to control and a lot that could be intimidating. Um, that especially if, we, especially if we have a real understanding of, of sin and grace and our frailty and our mortality, um, and then we're like, wow, um, I could just be doing my thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, aneurysm, heart attack, stroke, and you're, you're done, you're gone. Um, that if we lived our lives completely driven by fear, then it really means that we respect or love something more than we love our Lord. And for the Christian who lives under God's, under God's blessing, um, the, the Christian who has the name of Christ on them in holy baptism, um, we don't have to be afraid of anything. And so God says, you know, don't fear because he doesn't want idolatry sneaking in the side door or the back door um, under the guise of fear. And now I just have to you know, be afraid of this. Yeah. And the key is all those times when Jesus says, do not be afraid, at least some of them, it really means stop being afraid. It's, and when I was thinking of it this morning, that when, you know, you and I as parents, you know, tell our kids, stop it, you know, and you raise your voice and there's an exclamation point or two at the end of your, your sentence, you know, it means right now. And I think sometimes when we say, Jesus says, do not be afraid, it's kind of like, all right, well, maybe I can be afraid, maybe I can't. But when he says, stop, you just don't do it. Uh, it it's like when, again, telling my kids, stop doing that or <laughs> knock it off, <laughs> knock it off. Stop where you're at. This is dangerous over here. And that's the force of what Jesus is saying. Because like you said, when we don't stop being afraid, that's allowing the devil to come in. That's allowing fear to maybe become a God or to allow other things to become a God instead of the one true God. Yeah, definitely. And, and to understand fear, um, what is it that you're afraid of? And you just pick that thread up and, and you'll find what is it that you, um, that you love and you're afraid of losing. And you just keep following that thread and you unravel it and you're like, oh, well, what is it that has actually displaced uh, love for God in my heart? What is it that has displaced, um, you know, fearing, loving and trusting God above all things in my heart? Well, and and then the next level of thinking that I have some control over this and now it's all up to me and so much depends on me. And that is uh, not really the case. Right. And that leads to the next point, Matthew chapter six. I'm not going to read the whole thing on Jesus sermon on the Mount when he preaches about do not worry. But the key there is uh, why do we never have to worry? Why do we never have to be afraid? Part of it is, uh, this is what I teach on worry, is that you don't need to worry about the things you can't change because mm -hmm. you can't change them. So just let it go. And don't worry about the things you can change because you just need to change it. 
Okay. <laughs> and, and and that's the that's the thing is a big part of what we're talking about here is we stay in our lanes. Mm-hmm. And if God gives us a lane where we where we can do something about it, there I think in the English language, concern and worry are often used as synonyms. But again, the way I teach it is worry, I can't do anything about it. Concern, I can do something about it. So let me go and be concerned about this issue and then go work at it. Yeah, and and I think I've I've taught it a similar way. Um, I remember preaching a sermon about the difference between worry and uh, proper Christian concern. That proper Christian concern um, begins with our our vocation. So, for instance, is it my proper Christian concern to say, you know, to deliberate and debate the the politics of um, you know which ambassador to Venezuela we should have? No, that's not part of my vocation. I haven't been called to serve as a politician that my vocation is as a as a husband as a father as a pastor and um and in that order <clears throat> and so i should have proper christian concern about the things that pertain to that and i can't have i mean proper christian concern means you know when the 16 year old is going out the door you know at uh, nine o'clock at night say hi i'm going to a friend's house um and i'll i'll be back when i get home well, then the parent says, well, time out. First of all, it's snowing. Second of all, I don't know where you're going. Third of all, it's nine o'clock at night and I'm the parent. I have proper Christian concern that about where you're going and how you're getting there. Um, that is a completely different thing about all the things that we worry about that are not part of our current vocation. Like, am I worried about, um, about having a heart attack in 20 years? Or, or 10 years, or, you know, depending on your family health history, you know, some, something similar for you. Um, maybe, but that distracts us from the proper Christian concern of our stewardship of the body right now, that I want to take care of the things that I, I have been given now and to manage them properly. And so that means um, paying attention closely to, to what, I, what God has given me to do today which is defined by vocation and God's law. And obviously we are propelled along to serve God in those ways um, by the truth of his gospel. Um, and, but that gives us the, uh, the boundaries of our lane, I suppose you could say. Sure. Yeah, and then I talk on page 171 in the middle there about John Chrysostom. So he's a patriarch of Constantinople in the fourth century. And I just want to read what, what he says there. Uh, so the Roman emperor had arrested and charged Chrysostom with being a Christian, which was illegal. If Chrysostom did not renounce Christ, then the emperor would have this Christian leader banished from the kingdom. Chrysostom responded to the threat by saying that the emperor could not do so because, quote, the whole world is my father's kingdom. Then replied the emperor, I'll take away your life. To which Chrysostom said, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ and God. The emperor next threatened with the loss of his treasure, to which this saint replied, You cannot, for my treasure is in heaven where my heart is. The emperor made one last effort. Then I will drive you away from here, and you will have no friend left. But again, Chrysostom responded, You cannot, for I have one friend from whom you can never separate me. I defy you, for you can do me no harm. So what lesson, Peter, can we learn from Chrysostom? (laughs) I, I I kind of put myself in his shoes for a second, and um, and you know the emperor says renounce your Christianity, and the uh, the way of many of those 
people in the early centuries were, okay, yes, I do. And others said, no, I don't. And, um, and then, you know, maybe they were exiled or they were banished or they were killed and martyred, that sort of a thing. Um, but the fact that Chrysostom saw every opportunity to give a confession, because, you know, the truth was, you know, the truth that was so fr firmly planted in his heart was that this Jesus Christ was his everything, that this Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And, um, and just applying those truths to these threats from the emperor, which, um, you know, are really measly, puny threats, like, oh, no, you're going to kick me out. Where am I going to go? Um, I'm still under the kingdom of Christ. And the fact that he, he answered that way, that is, um, you know, there's the, the normal answer of, yes, I deny Christ, which, you know, is not an option for Christians. Um, the second answer of, no, I do not deny Christ, and you can kill me for it. Or the third answer that you want to make the good confession, that you want to you know confess the truth and and follow through with that, um, which is going to be basically I do not renounce, but with the purpose of saying this is what I believe and this is why your threats don't intimidate me. Yeah, and the way I was thinking of it is that too often we are holding on to so much stuff. We have our house. So then the emperor could take away our house. We have our uh, stuff, and the emperor can take away our stuff. We have our family, and then the emperor can take away our family. We have our health and our freedom, and the emperor can take away our health and freedom. But if we realize, you know what, I'm just passing through, and I, you know, like I'm backpacking, I'm hiking, and so I just have my backpack. You can take my house; it doesn't matter. You can take my stuff. I don't need any of that stuff. You know what? You know, you can even take my family. I'll see my family again later on in heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of those things, when we hold on too tightly, well, then the world, governments, the devil, they all have, you know, their little claws into us. But when we free ourselves from those things, and that's why Jesus says to give up all those things, to put his kingdom first, then when those things are taken away from us, it doesn't matter to us because we don't need any of those things to get to heaven. And those things that do matter the most to us, which is our family, Lord willing, we'll see them again in heaven. Yeah, it kind of um, kind of reminds me of um, the hymn of Mighty Fortress, which I think we're singing this Sunday. Um, and take they our life, good fame's child, good fame, child and wife, the wall may be gone, the victory is won. Um, and just that that confidence that, you know, here's Luther who says, you know what, they can do what they will, but what, what will they actually gain? And what will I actually lose? Well, absolutely nothing. And if we, um, if we live at a time where we have never made a confession to the point where it, it brought us pain or suffering or conflict, um, well, then we haven't really learned how to... Um, we haven't really learned how to confess the faith, especially in all circumstances. We just have, you know, maybe possibly been sitting back and been passive recipients of all the blessings that God has to offer. But as far as practicing those and confessing those, well, you know, that's a little uncomfortable and, and I don't want to risk losing fill in the blank. Yeah. And then talking about, uh, you know, risking that, uh, the next question I have is, the red dragon and his two beasts are terrifying preachers. Who could blame us? 
if we became afraid, renounced our faith, shirk our responsibilities, and take, would take the easy way out. Now, who could blame us, Peter? If we just, yeah. if we just said, you know what, I, I'm taking the easy way out. You're right. It would be, it'd be so easy. And um, yeah. realistically, would you be able to look yourself in the mirror? <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and yeah, the, point, the point I'm getting at there is who could blame us? Well, God could blame us. Yeah. Uh, Jesus says, whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, God will blame us. Jesus will blame us. And, you know, we don't, we don't like this kind of talk. We prefer a weak milk, milk toast type of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's but, like um, Jesus says, you know, don't fear those who can kill the body and can do no more. No, fear the one that the one capital O who can throw you body and soul into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Um, like that is, that is a strong club of the law against our shirking sinful flesh that wants to keep quiet and, um, and doesn't want anybody to, you know, ruffle feathers with me because, you know, I'm just over here doing my thing. You go do your thing and we'll just agree to disagree and leave each other alone. But in what world is that a Christian attitude? Yeah, you know, exactly. I'm going to be talking about this with my associate, Nathan, on our Thirsty podcast about the whole uh, Super Bowl ad on um, Jesus Gets Us. And so I won't, we won't talk about it here so much, but just that idea of Jesus Gets Us and everything I read on that, it often is, you know, the Christians are going are coming down hard on that because uh, yeah, they're they're making Jesus as that weak milk toast, you know, just mm-hmm. uh, looking at love as opposed to justice. And then I watched a, a Babylon B video, and it was uh, Satan gets us. Oh. You know, I thought that was that was pretty pretty pointed because he wants us to be in our sin. And and I just bring it up here because again, we don't like this firm kind of language. The other day in my adult confirmation class, the young lady who's in her 20s, she said, yeah, pastor, I didn't understand this statement in the homework section on where Jesus says that we are to hate our brothers and sisters and father and mother. What does that mean? I thought Jesus was love. And then just explaining, yeah, this is harsh language. We don't understand this type of language. We don't like this type type of language because we want to have Jesus and everything else. And Jesus says, no, you have me. I'll give you everything else, but I may take those things away too. And you need to be prepared to be satisfied with it one way or the other. Oh, totally. It's uh, one of of my friends on Facebook friends uh, put it like this. He's a pastor out in the Seattle area. He said, I haven't had one person visit my church or started a conversation with me from the He Gets Us campaign. Zero. I've consequently seen much division and arguments with Christians on social media, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. and it's like, okay, if that, um, you know, here's here's my little bit of editorializing. Um, the the What I had heard, I didn't look into this too deeply, obviously, was that basically the same guy, family that runs Hobby Lobby, is the ones who are funding the He Gets Us campaign. And um, I really appreciate the, the the efforts that the Hobby Lobby group did in, um, in bringing and challenging some laws at the Supreme Court level. 
And um, given their you know, theology and the he gets this campaign, maybe they should limit their themselves to um, exercising their rights as a corporation and then challenging it at the Supreme Court and let the Christians sort out how to proclaim Christ to this culture. Yeah, and then with that too, I had also read that that same group was putting these ads together, but they also included in their focus group non-Christians. And so when you, when you bring in non-Christians, you're always going to be watering down this true Jesus. And then you know, one of the things that we were definitely afraid of uh, and that's why I wrote this chapter was the fear of death. And Revelation pictures death as a pale rider. Uh, and when we are afraid of death, then we are letting death win. And we're, we're just trying to avoid it. Uh, and, and so the key is we're going to look at toward the end of this chapter, you know, why we don't need to be afraid of death. But then... I don't know. Did you know much about St. Cyprian? Uh, not a whole lot. I think we um, did some reading about him in Latin during college. Okay. Um, was that the one where they, uh, they, they caught his blood in the napkin as he was beheaded? That I don't know. So, <laughs> so here's the... Inter- in my mind. Okay. That's uh, worth researching. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the interesting thing on this chapter is... You know, I was I was working on this chapter, and, and the way I wrote the book was I would be, you know, typing and, and writing all kinds of notes there, and it took me like a couple of weeks just to pile compile everything together. But when I was working on this one on fear, uh, I, I remember just googling something about fear, and then this a sermon by Saint Cyprian came up. And so I listened to the sermon. So obviously it was another guy that did the sermon because <laughs> it wasn't he a was recording. From, yeah, it wasn't it was it wasn't an original three third century AD recording. But I still remember I, I, I Googled it and I found it from another conservative Lutheran. And and then uh, you know, I was cleaning the house, listening to St. Cyprian's sermon. And I, and I just kept writing notes instead of cleaning, going, and this is good, this is good. And then that's why there's so much of St. Cyprian's sermon uh, in this text. And so I just wanted to read a little bit of it, and then we can discuss it. Uh, so on page 173, uh, he says, uh, so this is a second Paragraph, doubtless, let him fear to die, and only him who, unborn of water and of the Spirit, is the property of hellfire. Let him fear to die, who is without title in the cross and passion of Christ. Let him fear to die, who is to pass from death here into the second death. Let him fear to die, on whom at his going away from life, an eternal flame will lay pains that never cease. Let him fear to die, on whom the longer day confers this boon, that his tortures and groans will begin later. Uh, what, he's ta- what he's talking about there is unbelievers. Those are the ones who should fear death, not Christians. And yet, you know, I remember Peter, a lot of us as Christians were very afraid of dying from this COVID disease. And and people were then 
they were justifying their fear, saying, well, Jesus doesn't want us to die from this. No, it's okay to die from this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we, we don't want to be foolhardy, but at the same point, what a what are we actually afraid of and and maybe that kind of opens the door i was um having this conversation last night with one of our members who is doing some genealogy work and he said you know he in some of the family tree further back they had like eight or ten kids in this household and in the space of a week and a half two of the children died and then a month and a half later um, another child died Hmm. and and it's just kind of this basic general question at a time when you know our average birth rate is like 2.1 children we are we're right around replacement rate maybe a little bit higher um but we aren't having families of 8 10 12 14 children and we aren't the ones who are um helping and assisting and nursing these people during their final days um they're in a nursing home they're in hospice care they are medicated and we don't hear all the uh and see all the progression of death as it takes our loved ones out of the world and we aren't personally you know host opening up our homes as a funeral home for the visitation and for the funeral we just aren't dealing with death in the same way that uh, the rest of the world has for most of history um and and the kind of sterilization of death and it's all locked away in hospitals and we let the professionals handle it and then we just see you know we see granny in the casket when she's looking as lifelike as they can make her look um that wonderful i guess but something is lost when we are so detached from from dealing with death and it's uh it's the same thing when we're dealing with um like the sacrifices of the old testament um that was another conversation i had last night not to hijack this whole discussion um but i will <laughs> another conversation um i had a member who was cleaning like cleaning two deer um because deer season just ended for archery here and he was cleaning two deer and um at the same time as he was listening to the book of leviticus um and so he's like wait time out all these sacrifices they had all this that they had to deal with that temple that tabernacle must have stunk um because you know they're dealing with all this blood you're just gonna have like a third of the levites are working as butchers and cleaning up after the butchering um and and all we know you know for probably the majority of americans um if you eat meat it is probably something that you just got at the grocery store that is neatly packaged and um in a freezer case and under some fluorescent light and it looks appealing but it's a t- totally different thing to be looking at the animal in your backyard, you know, ch- chicken or or cow or the fattened calf or whatever it may be, and um, looking at how am I going to slaughter this and break it down and then preserve it, um, because we're kind of detached from that. And so when this whole specter of of death comes along, whether it's this pandemic or something else, we are so totally discombobulated because we're detached from death. It's just something sterile that happens somewhere else. It's just a medical thing that we aren't privy to. And all we see is um, somebody doing their best to um, dress up death as, as well as they can. Yeah, and I think that's important, what you're saying there of sterilizing death and not being used to it. A lot of people are not taking their children to funerals either. And so that that's they're a, not- That's crazy. Used, yeah, so they're not used to death. And then since you talked about that, I think the same thing with 
you just even going to the hospital, nursing homes and so forth. So I'm over halfway through listening to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I don't know if you've read that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I just got their book. No. Oh, apparently it's even better. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll have to look that one up. And uh, so then I, I reserve from the library today the movie, which swept the Academy Awards. So, but the key is the reason I bring up that is. You know, you and I have been in plenty of nursing homes and assisted living centers and so forth. And some of them are not real nice. And, but we've become desensitized to that too, because now we can put someone over there or other people can put them over there. Whereas it used to be in the culture, the people were in our own homes, our children, our elderly grandparents, those who are ill, injured, were taking care of everyone. And so we were used to death. And so, again, as Christians, we weren't afraid of death. And that's what St. Cyprian is uh, pointing out here is only unbelievers should be afraid of death. And then he has some other strong words. This is in the middle of page 173. Uh, Since the world hates a Christian, why do you love that which hates you and not rather follow Christ who has redeemed and loves you. So it's, again, some more strong words going, you know, we've heard conservative commentators say this, why do you support businesses that hate you? You know, that's the way I would say it too. Uh, this, this world hates us. They want nothing to do with us. So what I, what I said last night in my Ash Wednesday sermon was that uh, two-thirds of Americans are now saying that they are Christians. You know, that's down from just a generation ago where it was three quarters of people. And, you know, we might say, woe is me as Christians. And yet the world is celebrating that we are uh, having less and less influence in our culture, that there are fewer and fewer of our Christian values that are influencing anything in our culture, in our nation. Uh, They hate us. So why do we hold so strongly to this world when it wants nothing to do with us? Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just a, just an understanding of why do you want to sit with the cool kids at lunch? Um, Cause the lunch bell is going to be ringing soon. <laughs> They're just really... the mean girls. There, there's yeah. a movie reference for you for, the, for our lady listeners. There you go. Yeah, if you want want a book recommendation for the day, um, it's kind of a, 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 a written for a 10 to 12 year old age level, at least in the vocabulary. But uh, the, 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 the topic gets a little bit deeper than that. It's called A Day No Pigs Would Die. A Day No Pigs Would Die. Um, and it's um, about a father who is a pig butcherer and he is uh, terminally ill. And then how does he um, prepare his son for the day when he would eventually pass from this world? Um, I read it last year. It wasn't especially cheery, but um, it was definitely worthwhile. And maybe like, you know, fifth grade, maybe your fifth grade or sixth grader gives it a read and uh, it's worth talking about. Have you had your kids read read it? Well, he's in fourth grade right now is our oldest one. Um, So I was going to, I pre-read it to kind of say, you know, when would this fit and yeah, we'll we'll get around to it next year. We're still we're still working our way through the the Grimm's fairy tales and um and the Blue Fairy book, which are fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm just all, I'm just asking yeah. because you have homeschool kids, so they're on a do. higher they're a different level than 
public school kids and well, even even Lutheran elementary kids they're they're children yeah they're children and um and we have the privilege um the responsibility of of not moving them along faster than they can handle and um and I think as parents we we take that seriously and we definitely have our approach on it um but it is it is a book that that we will read um we read where the red fern grows this past summer and and uh and that just broke everybody's heart which it always does <laughs> but uh well someday we'll get past you know dogs dying and then we'll get on to you know some deeper topics like uh like in that book okay yeah and you know i hear i quote john first john two: do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for everything in the world the lust of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, boasting about material possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Uh, and so there I asked the question, are we loving the world more than loving the Lord uh, if we do all we can to prolong life? I think that's a poignant question. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very pointed um and to be able to just ask that and say well what do you think um do we have the response i mean christians have a very different approach to death you talk to a christian who's terminally ill and they're like you know what pastor my time here is done i've lived a long life god's been very good to me i know where i'm going and i'm ready to go when jesus calls me home you talk to somebody or you see somebody who is not a christian and and they are the ones who are grasping for absolutely every every last chance that they can get. Now, it's not it's not wrong for a Christian to pursue some of those experimental therapies, like um, you know, in stage you know drug trials or whatever it may be for cancer. Who knows? Um, it's not wrong in and of itself, but we do have to understand that what we lose here is not lost. <laughs> that. Um, that you know when jesus refers to moses at the burning bush that moses that god said to moses at the burning bush i am the god of abraham isaac and jacob what he meant was those guys had been in the tomb for nearly 600 years most of them um and yet god was still their god that even though they had passed away they weren't lost that jesus was still shepherding his people um just that now they were in heaven with him yeah, and when we're talking about death, then this next question is how does <laughs> the fact that episode Yeah, how does the fact that God will not let you die one moment sooner than he has planned help you overcome your fear of death and illnesses, viruses, and accidents that lead to death? And the reason I wrote that question is I had people that became very upset because their spouse died supposedly of COVID, their grandma or aunt got sick and died of COVID supposedly because someone came to a party that was sick with COVID. And then, you know, they're upset. And, you know, the, the one spouse was upset. Well, we were so careful. And, and then the other one, she was very upset with her family member. They came sick to a party, you know, killed grandma, uh, you know, and they're counseling both of them to say, God had this planned from eternity that your spouse, that your grandma was going to die. And if they died of COVID, well, that was just the means that God used to kill them and bring them home to heaven. Uh, yeah, that, 
you know, Psalm 139, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And, um, and how foolish to think that, that we who can, can't change, can't permanently change a gray hair to, to, to brown or black again. Um, we can't do that. We can't change a hair of our head. How foolish to think that we are the ones in charge of extending our lives or that we can point the finger and say, well, you were the one who killed grandma which is what the world says. And it's exactly what they were saying that you have to do this or else you're going to kill grandma. Um, I mean, there, there, obviously there is a, a, a point for caution. And if same as with any other sickness, if you're, if you have a hacking cough or you're feeling under the weather, then go home and go to sleep, you know, um, don't feel. And, and I guess that's the other side of it. Don't feel so duty bound to come to church that you're just going to sit and struggle through church coughing through the whole thing. Um, you know, I've, we, we've all encountered people like that who, you know, it's like, oh, you can, you can come on out, I'll get you a glass of water. And they say, no, thanks, pastor. I'm good. No, you're not. You're hacking up a lung and people are staying like 15, 20 feet away from you because we all know that, um, that we don't want the cough that you have. And that's just, that's just a regular cough. But, at, you know, these people aren't afraid of death. Um, but we also, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't tilt us completely the other way to say, I'm just going to be foolhardy and not wear my seatbelt and, uh, and drive 80 miles on, on the highway. Um, we still have a responsibility according to our vocation, according to stewardship, according to God's law. And it's all propelled along by the grace of our God who gives us everything. Well, that person that was just hacking up along, that was probably me on Sunday. Uh, my, my sermon was pretty gruff. Uh, well, not the text, but uh, my voice was. Delivery. That was a, yeah, that was the first time I had talked in two days. And I got up in the pulpit and, oh, this is, this is pretty rough. And then I went home and uh, didn't, didn't talk to anyone for another two days until preached for Ash Wednesday service. And it sounded a little bit better. Someone even said, Email me today. I said, Pastor, you sounded a little rough last night. I said, Well, you weren't in church then on Sunday because <laughs> it was it was uh, a lot better because people are asking me, How are you feeling now? And I said, Well, since I was almost dead last week, um, now I'm only half dead. And <laughs> you know, hopefully they got the the Princess Bride reference. Yeah, mostly dead is a little alive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then again. Talking about death, why is the annual trip with women every year on Easter so important for us as Christians, Peter? Oh yeah, and and I would even rewind to um to yesterday, um, which we're recording this the day after Ash Wednesday. That Ash Wednesday is like the start of the Valley of Lent, and we hear at the beginning of Lent, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And Lent is this valley that we're walking through the, the valley of the shadow of death. And, um, you know, we confront our sin, we hear about our sin, but then we see most of all our Savior carrying our sin. <coughs> and the valley of Lent that began with, remember you are dust, leads to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the one who shares our humanity, who became a human, human flesh just like us, um, he has conquered death. And so, you know, that's the, the rest of the statement that began on, on Ash Wednesday. The conclusion to the statement is, even though you are dust, and to dust you shall return, that when your body is buried, when you're cremated, whatever the case may be, this Jesus who broke the power of death will raise you from the dead. 
And it is, I mean, it, I think it is important to walk along to, with the women to uh, understand, experience in some small way, the emotion, the loss that they, the expectation, the grief. I mean, they're grieving. They're thinking of all the things that they lost. They thought, oh, we thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We thought that he was going to be the, that he was the Lamb of God. We thought that he would be the Messiah. And now it looks like a failure to walk, walk along with them gives us uh, the ability to kind of experience their their grief also applied to us and so then we see the resurrection of jesus and we see that that victory over death means that jesus has taken away every reason for grief even though we grieve in the short term even though we will experience funerals um at the same time the victory of jesus means that you know death is a loser yeah and like you said, uh, Jesus' death means that uh, we don't have to be, uh, you know, we don't have to mourn death. But I think here we also don't need to be afraid of death. There, you know, some of the the spy novels that I read, you know, you got I've got Jack Reacher, who's from Lee Child, and Scott Harvath uh, by Brad Thor, Mitch Rapp, Vince Flynn. But those guys, Mitch Rapp and Jack Reacher and Scott Harvath. When they go against the enemy, you know they're like untouchable, and that's that's what I was thinking of here. Is because we are Christians, it, we are untouchable. You know, mm-hmm. meaning that you know all these guys they can get banged up, they can get shot whenever the uh, the authors want to end the book or whatever. But the key is for us. We're untouchable until Christ wants to end the book for us and we go home to heaven. Uh, we are these uh, these spy masters, and we go up against the big bad enemy of the devil, and you know, we are going to be victorious. And, and that's what we need to, to have every Easter, just keep remembering that annual trip with those women. And they were afraid, yes, and that's why the angel reminds them uh, you know, do not be afraid. He is not here. He has risen, just like he said he would. You wouldn't have been afraid if you would have believed the whole time. And it's the same way with us. If we believe the whole time that we are victorious, we don't need to be afraid of anything because Jesus has overcome the biggest thing of death. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's exactly where Paul goes at the end of Romans chapter 8. He's like, okay, okay, try me, test me on this. What in the world or what outside of this world do you think can separate you from the love of Christ? Name it, come on, give me, give me something that will separate you from Jesus. And he go to, goes down the list. Uh, trouble, famine, nakedness, dangerous sword, angels, demons, etc. He just goes on and he says, no, absolutely not. In all these things, we are conquerors because Jesus has conquered death and because that conquering resurrection has been brought into your life through holy baptism. That's a you know tangible, tactile uh, moment in your own personal history where God Himself reached out and um, and touched you and made you His own and said, you know, this one belongs to me. <laughs> like, okay, what is it that we are actually afraid of here? Yeah, and then the last question I have is since we talked about the pale rider of death in Revelation chapter six, why do we not need to fear that pale rider? Well. Revelation 6, verse 2 says there's another rider. Uh, it's Christ rides victorious on his white horse. Uh, you know, there I write at the bottom of page 177, even in a fallen world where death 
and they're a capitalized death. Death rides its pale horse to haunt and hunt us down. Jesus still patiently reassures us, do not be afraid. Death's back is broken. Satan has been stomped. The gates of Hades have been ripped off their hinges. Christ rides victorious on his white horse. He has conquered and he continues to conquer. Death is the last enemy to be done away with. If death is done, nothing else can win. If death has been destroyed, then there is nothing else to fear. And, and so that's kind of my question for you. I don't have this written down, obviously. Um, but is there, do we have a, a tendency or an inclination to focus more on the, the sorrowful, the suffering, the trial, the temptation, um, the weakness, the failure, and being like, okay, well, Jesus won, but okay, but things are still a struggle here. And Jesus won, but, you know, we still got to be working here. Um, and is, is there a tendency to do that, to preach that way in our circles? And if so, um, how do we address that? Or what is different about this attitude? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Again, I don't know how other guys preach. I guess the big thing is, like we said earlier, is we just have to be bold as preachers. We have to be bold as uh, listeners and, and applying what we hear from the pulpit. Uh, and, you know, it can be, you and I joke a lot about length of sermons and so forth. Uh, the key, though, it, whether it's a shorter sermon or a longer sermon, is it's got to be a powerful sermon. And it's got to be straightforward uh, all of these times of do not fear and why not fear. It's because Christ is victorious. I don't know where you were going with your question. Yeah, you were no, thinking. Was, I, I, I do think that there is a tendency to um, accommodate ourselves to the idea that this is simply spiritual victory, but it's all in the future. And we are Lutherans. So that means theology of the cross all the time. And we can't talk about victory. We can't talk about glory. We can't talk about, um, you know, Christ's victory over the devil as something that is real and applies to us now. Um, I, I, I do think that there is that possibility. Um, and to, to be able to talk about victory in a way that is is glorious but is not a theology of glory that is that is possibly the challenge um because if all we have to offer is hey you work your best jesus will fix it all in the end and um but you got to do your best and life here is a world of sin and death and pain and suffering until he takes you out of it if that's all we have to offer as a church then um then it's kind of the subtle form of Gnosticism that separates the spiritual from the physical life. And, um, and okay, Jesus gave you the spiritual victory, but, but as far as this physical life, it will always be failure and it'll always be struggle. And yes, it will be, but we also have to apply that spiritual truth to our lives um, in, in a very practical way. And I think this is part of it to understand how does the resurrection of Jesus affect the way that I feel about this particular health challenge. To that point, Peter, right at the end, what you were talking about, that separation, I think sometimes we do get that way in our preaching is it only becomes spiritual. And, you know, this is 
going back to you know these comments about separating the two kingdoms, the spiritual and physical kingdoms. And I think a lot of times as pastors, we focus so much on the spiritual kingdom, we forget that uh, we as pastors, but all of our people are living every day as well in the physical kingdom. And we need to preach that same way when it comes to this victory uh, on the last day. It is also a victory every day that we're living in this physical realm that Jesus does give us spiritual victory, but that's inside of our very physical bodies because uh, sin is not just something that's inside of us, but it comes out physically in everything that we're thinking and in our saying and what we're doing. So it's a very physical thing. Uh, and it's the same way with the, the way that we live. You know, the ailments that we have, they can affect us spiritually, but they're often affecting us spiritually because they're affecting us emotionally and physically. And so we need to be able to preach, yeah, Jesus Christ takes care of these spiritual uh, these spiritual ailments, but he's also applying that to your physical ailments and your physical body. And on the last day, you have you rise not just with a spiritual body but a very physical body too yeah and i guess together with that you know if we if we separate the spiritual and physical when we talk about the blessings of the gospel then we also risk separating spiritual and physical when we're talking about sin and um and like modern psychology is finally catching up with this. We talk about, um, you know, the way that that stress affects your health, the way that your attitude about, you know, whatever happened, whatever trauma happened in your background, it's not just what happened to you, but it's also how you think about what happened to you um, that that can have, you know, beneficial or detrimental health effects in, in your modern day life. And so like modern science and medical science says that the way you think about something that the spiritual side, as far as they understand, um, the spiritual side can have a physical effect. And Christians have known that for believers have known that for, you know, 4000 years, that when you confess your sin, you know, we're confessing a spiritual thing that I have, I have um, erred, I have sinned against God and his moral law. And and I have, you know, my body has been a willing participant in that, you know, the words that I say or the thoughts that I think, um, but that that confession does have a, a physical relief to it. Like to hear that, you know, the pastor says, for the sake of Jesus Christ, I forgive you, um, that you can walk out there and we're not enthusiastic to say, yes, I hope you feel better after your confession, because if, if you aren't walking out a little bit more with a little bit more spring in your step, then let's go back and, and look at this just a little bit more um, because this Jesus has brought, has brought healing and relief from your shame. And he's brought cleansing for um, not just for you um, and for your sin, but also and the guilt of your sin, but also for the effects of that sin in your life. Um, yeah, I got to, got to work on that one a little bit because there's a couple nuances to kind of tease out, but, um, but knitting together the physical and spiritual, I think is, uh, is a challenge that is more easily bypassed, um, than actually wrestled with. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. So the key is just stop being afraid. There you go. <laughs> there's, there's my encouragement right from Jesus. And then we'll, uh, meet Lord willing, next week, as we're going to talk about the next chapter on freedom.
and freedom is a uh, it is well, not a spiritual thing. Well, yeah, the, the sp- spiritual freedom that Christ gives us. But here I'm talking about the the physical freedom that we have, and the way we'll talk about it in this chapter is it is something that God gives us. And therefore, it is a gift that we need to be protecting and protective of. So we'll talk about that more next week. We'll see you all then.